You're listening to the best of The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now your host, Michelle Miao. It's Michelle Miao. You're listening to The Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. You're A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Can you believe it? It's already our sixth episode. I'm having so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Tonight is our special Chelsea Manning show. We'll have two interviews in which we'll discuss in depth the Chelsea Manning issue. We'll also have Shaw Rednauer who will pamper you, or I guess she'll teach you how to pamper yourself, and all things Mia, and she'll talk about transgender websites. But for now, it's time for Gay News. This month, out lesbian endurance swimmer Diana Niad became the first person to swim from Havana, Cuba to Florida. At age 64, she's also the first person to complete the 110-mile swim. She swam nonstop with shark cages and a mass, preventing jellyfish stings and shark bites. There have been some critics who have been skeptic of her swim because of the mask and the shark cages. But to me, she still swam 110 miles nonstop, people. Congratulations to Diana. This month, Chelsea Manning announced that she is a transgender woman. Chelsea, formerly known as Bradley Manning, was charged and sentenced to 35 years for leaking documents to WikiLeaks, and those documents were classified government documents. And it also has been announced that the military prison will not give her access to hormone therapy. Chelsea's attorney, David Coombs, vows to fight for her health care rights. This month, we also hear amazing, amazing news from the Obama administration. Attorney General Eric Holder has announced that gay veterans and their same-sex spouses will have access to benefits. And those benefits include disability benefits, survivor benefits, and even home loans. And all those benefits are under Title 38. Finally, last headline news that I'll talk about I'll talk about Wentworth Miller in coming out news. Wentworth Miller was like a crush to me when I was watching Prison Break. He is the star of the series Prison Break. Well, he came out in a letter he wrote to the St. Petersburg Film Festival saying that as a gay man, he has to decline their invitation because he feels it's unsafe for him to travel to Moscow. Isn't that amazing? That's a great way to come out to me instead of doing like a video or something. He stands up for his rights. He's hot. He's talented. He's Wentworth Miller. That's it for Giga News. Earlier, I sat down with Rainy Reitman of Private Manning Support Network. She tells us who Chelsea Manning really is. Let's take a look at that interview. Private Chelsea Manning has made major headlines this month, especially in the LGBTQ community, after announcing that she's a transgender woman. Here on Swirl, I still think it's important, whether you agree or disagree, that we honor and recognize Chelsea Manning. 
Here to recognize or help us recognize Chelsea Manning is Rainey Reitman. She is one of the founders of the Private Manning Support Network. Rainey, welcome to Swirl. Thank you so much for having me. So for a lot of our listeners and viewers, there could be some people out there who know who Chelsea Manning is and what she did. And then, you know, for some, they don't know. So let's answer the simple question, who is Chelsea Manning? So Chelsea Manning is the uh, United States uh, Army private analyst uh, who has admitted to and been convicted of uh, releasing documents to the whistleblower website WikiLeaks. Uh, these documents were very important. They helped our country understand a whole variety of things about how we were conducting our wars internationally. Uh, everything from more accurate body counts of civilians in Iraq to uh, sort of war crimes that were committed. Most famously, she uh, was the individual who helped to leak the collateral murder video. So this is a video that shows uh, American soldiers in a helicopter uh, gunning down uh, Reuters journalists. Uh, and it's, a, it's an incredibly graphic video, an incredibly moving video to watch. Uh, and in the gunfire, actually, two, two children uh, are wounded and then uh, carried off by one of the soldiers. And that video actually began a major sort of reframing of America's positions on the wars. So she's a whistleblower, and for the last three years, she has been uh, involved in a lengthy court battle mm -hmm. to uh, be able to uh, present her case and explain why she decided to do this. Uh, she's faced incredible difficulty uh, through the uh, military justice system. And Absolutely. She, yeah, and yeah. she was just sentenced to uh, 35 years in prison. 35 years. Now, yeah. thousands of people, thousands of supporters, including yourself, obviously, believe that you know she's innocent or um, believe in her freedom, that she really shouldn't be punished for 35 years. Can you explain? I think it's really important that people know that uh, Private Chelsea Manning was very upfront about the fact that she did this. Uh, she submitted a guilty plea that said, I admit to doing this. I want to be able to basically uh, say that, acknowledge that I have done this so that I can have a conversation about why I did this. But the, the government um, worked hard to prevent her from discussing issues like whether or not there were any harms to the United States government or whether or not... Um, well, what her motives were uh, during the course of the trial. Uh, I think that the information that Chelsea Manning released has proven to be incredibly important for us as a country to understand. Mm -hmm. We have so much better insight, and we have had uh, years of investigative journalism work that was built on the foundation of those important leaks. And that's why I really think that there's a major, major difference between someone who has decided to leak information to the public through a, a journalistic site such as WikiLeaks and someone who is like a spy or a traitor who's trying right. to help our so-called enemies. Right. So explain to us, I think, that the, you know, the fight doesn't stop here. Um, your group will fight to the end. What do we do now to support Chelsea? Well, that's a really great question, and I would say um, Chelsea Manning has indicated that she will be, uh, she would, uh, is still very interested in receiving letters from supporters. Uh, so if you haven't written to Chelsea Manning, now is a great time to do it and show her that you have support. We have her uh, contact information on uh, our website, uh, privatemanning.org. Uh, and now there's going to be a bit of a legal process. So we have uh, just submitted a, uh, a appeal to the president for a a, a presidential pardon. And so you can uh, visit our site and, uh, and support the appeal. Uh, there's also going to be uh, clemency hearings in a few years. There will be uh, parole hearings in a number of years. And then there will also be an appeals 
process. So all of these things are sort of slow-moving processes to try to uh, get her out through the legal system. But it's really important, like one of the most important things we can do is keep raising awareness about her situation. Because even as news cycles move on, she is still uh, going to be uh, in prison under these egregious sentence. Right. Uh, and we, I think it's really important that those of us who are outside of prison keep raising awareness about her situation. Um, my organization has committed to uh, uh, raising 100% of her legal defense fees. We've wow. been able to do it so far, wow. yeah. but it's really important that we continue to get public support to so keep doing that. Rainey, thank you so much for joining us here on Swirl and giving us a scoop on Chelsea and uh, you know and her innocence. We really believe it here on Swirl and also you know Private Manning Support Network. So really quick, the website, PrivateManning.org. All right, thanks, Rainey. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Rainey, for that amazing interview, and thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Coming up, we continue our conversation about Chelsea Manning. We'll talk about transgender health care in prison systems with Jennifer Orthwine of Transgender Law Center. Listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back to Swirl. We're continuing our conversation about Chelsea Manning. When she came out as a transgender woman, we were unsure if the military prison system would offer her equal treatment, such as hormone therapy. Well, we recently sat down with Jennifer Orthwine, who is a volunteer attorney for Transgender Law Center, who will tell us a little bit more about transgender health in the prison systems. Let's take a look. Jennifer, welcome to Swirl. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So Chelsea Manning announced that she's transgender. Uh, we don't know if the military prison system will allow equal access to even hormone therapy. Is that correct? Well, recently, Kimberly Lewis, a spokesperson for Fort Leavenworth, where Chelsea Manning will be housed, um, has announced that they will not be allow allowing her to obtain hormone therapy. While final. She's and that's final. Well, we hope that's not final. Mm -hmm. But um, as of now, that is their, their stance. Oh, that's... 
that's horrible news. Yes, it is. It's very so so what, are, what are the conditions going to be like for Private Manning? One of the biggest concerns, um, given that she has come out and um, she's going to be housed in a, a men's prison, is where she will be housed. Um, will she be housed in administrative seg segregation away from the rest of the population, or will she be among the rest of the population? Um, and then, of course, there is the medical treatment and whether or not she will have access to psychological services and evaluation for her gender identity um, issues and what would be the appropriate medical treatment. Um, under the standards of care, hormone therapy should be considered. Now, let's bring that home to California because I know that the laws vary state by state when we talk about health care access in prison systems. You have experience um, even here in California with transgender inmates. Can you talk about, you know, what kind of care uh, they're given? You, maybe we can even begin with, um, you know, where they're housed uh, from the beginning to the end. In California, as of yet, they're housed with men. Transgender women are housed with men um, unless they've had some sort of bottom surgery, um, genital reassignment surgery. Um, and that has been the case for as long as you know, this has been an issue um, as long as trans people have been incarcerated. The biggest issue in California is has been that for safety concerns, um, trans inmates have been housed primarily administrative segregation um, to protect them if an issue arises. If not, then they're placed with other inmates and, and of course that, that raises concerns as well. Um, so there are new standards by the federal government um, that are being imposed on the states and California passed uh, legislation to apply those standards to California whereby inmates will be ask questions as to where they're going to feel safest, and that's going to become a priority as to how people are housed. Now, how that plays out has yet to be seen, but we're expecting things to kind of change on that front and, and hopefully better policies in place. There's a new popular sitcom on Netflix, Orange is the New Black, in yes. which, um, you know, there's a transgender character, or and, uh, you know, she basically, in her script, uh, you know, exposes the issue of hormone treatment and, you know, the inequality that transgender inmates face. So that's a regular. That is a regular. In California, they um, instituted a policy in 2011 um, that allows for evaluation and treatment of, with hormone therapy. Even though it was being done before, this is an actual policy that got implemented recently. Um, so it's occurring where people are, there's a policy that people can rely on um, to access care in California. However, there's still bias and it still takes a long time for people to be heard, for trans women in particular to be heard, um, but also for trans men to be heard in the prisons and actually get to the point where they can access an evaluation and appropriate medical care. So last question for you, obviously you're a volunteer attorney for Transgender Law Center. Transgender Law Center has done a lot for the trans uh, community. What do we do? Do we uh, take legal action? I know in Massachusetts there was a case in mm -hmm. which we success successfully sued the state. Correct. Uh, do we keep doing that? Um, that seems to be the course at, at the moment. Um, you know, we have the Department of Justice on our side on some level. The Board of, um, the Federal Bureau of Prisons has recently um, enacted a policy. Um, they circulated a memo to all of their prisons requiring that people get evaluated for appropriate medical treatment who are transgender. Um, and we're hoping that with the federal, federal push for this and with the, there's a number of cases in various states under the Eighth Amendment and unusual punishment that have already determined that uh, transgender inmates have a right to appropriate medical care and appropriate evaluation. Um, so these, these things have been litigated and they've evolved to a point where 
trans inmates are receiving appropriate medical care according to the court's um, holding. So now we're, we're looking at possibly more litigation um, depending on what jurisdiction we're looking at. So Got it. Jennifer, thank you so much for thank all the you. work that you do for our community and thanks for joining us here on Swirl. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for the great interview and thank you to our sponsor, Kaiser Permanente. We want you to live long and thrive. Coming up next, it's All Things Mia with transgender websites. Don't go away. Welcome back to Swirl. Mia Macy is our transgender inclusive voice and she's got a great list of transgender websites for you. Let's get to it. It's all things Mia, I'm Mia Macy with your latest in entertainment news for the LMNOP and everyone in between. So boys and girls, I get a lot of questions about being transgender. So I thought this week I'd do something a little different. See, in my life, after people started asking me, I started referring them to different websites. So this week, I've assembled the list of websites for you to go to to learn a little more about transgender. Little education, so to speak. Now, with that said, don't just jump right in and Google transgender. You might not like what you've seen, and you might get in trouble at work if you do that. Some of the stuff's quite offensive. The stuff I'm going to talk to you isn't. It's all going to be family-friendly and good sites you could go to. First off is going to be transadvocate.com. Basically, it's a CNN for transgender. with the latest in news, entertainment, finances, stuff like that. It's a good site, transadvocate.com. Enjoy. Now, he is Courtney Ziegler. I should say Dr. Courtney Ziegler. And he has a site called blackademic.com. Find it, go there, read his essays. He's humorous, sometimes sad, but I enjoy Dr. Ziegler's stuff. He's an amazing trans man, lives out of the Bay, and he... Yeah, he has a different approach to some stuff, and I like his approach. He does a lot of public speaking, and his videos are on his site. Now, we are going to another site, and it's a friend of mine's called Neutros.me. Now, Neutros is for non-binary transgender people. Look it up. I know it's a difficult one. Non-binary transgender people. But Neutros.me is a riot. It's a great site. He writes funny. He has great insight into transgender and non-binary transgender individuals. But just life in general. He's a good essayist, and his site is kind of a blog information site. But you can also contact him. Now... Last up is going to be TGSF.org. That's a local Bay Area website and organization with the latest in the Bay on events. It's not a match.com. It's not a site for you to meet people. It's an actual site with events, resources for transgender that move to the Bay. Now, all of these sites are easy to find and great insight to transgender. Now, with that said, you can find me, Mia Marie Macy, on Twitter. Download often and frequently, fanboys and fangirls. Thank you, Mia, for your always great lists. I love them all. And thank you to our sponsor, Honda of Oakland. Honda of Oakland supports diversity. Coming up next is Shar Rednar of Love, Life, and Sex. Don't go away.
Welcome back to Swirl. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. It's now time to have some fun with Shar Rednauer of Love, Life, and Sex, and she'll teach us what to do when we're in a rut. Hi, I'm Shar Rednauer, and this is Shar Rednauer's Love, Life, and Sex. Today's episode is dedicated to all the single people out there who are experiencing a dry spell right now. Have you ever started dating someone and then right when you're getting dates, all of a sudden everybody wants to date you and you're thinking, where were you when I needed you? I actually call it that. I call it the where were you when I needed you syndrome and I have the cure. Here's what you need to do. Go home and you can do this during the day or night and if you live alone, you can do it anywhere in your house. If you want to be private, I guess maybe you should go in your bedroom if you live with other people. Get out your favorite sex toys, put on your favorite music, light some candles, pour yourself a glass of wine if you drink or a fabulous smoothie if you don't want alcohol, and then start to masturbate. Get some massage oil. Lube yourself up. Pretend like somebody else is massaging you. I mean, really go to town. This isn't just like the get off masturbation session. No, 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 no. This is a luxurious orgy with yourself. I want you to have as many orgasms, climax as much as you can. For guys who don't want to climax as much as you can, then I want you to stretch out your orgasm. Make it take a really, really, really long time. And then after you do all of that, whew and you are feeling really languid and really, really happy, I want you to roll out of the bed, clean up just a little bit. We don't want to send you out of the house too gross. And then head out to your favorite cafe, maybe one that has some people that you want to date, or even a nightclub if it's nighttime, and dance and have an absolutely fantastic time. You're going to smell different. Your chemistry is going to be different. You're even going to have a different look in your eye. No, do not tell everybody, hey, I just laid at home. No, 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 no. You need to let them just feel it and be around you. You're sexy. That gal is having fun and I want to hook up with her. That's the part that we want you to emote. This is Shar Rednauer with Shar Rednauer's Love, Life, and Sex. Thank you so much, Shar. You always put a smile on all our faces. And thank you to our sponsor, Fountain Grove Lodge, luxury retirement living with a commitment to diversity. Don't go away. We have our final thoughts coming up next. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now, because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, the ethics of Oasis, is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be 
in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. It's Michelle Meow. You're listening to the Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. It's Roll Radio Year A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Mark Bingham was a gay hero during the 9-11 terrorist attacks. It is believed that he helped divert one of the United Planes Flight 93. The plane ended up crashing in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, avoiding its actual target, which could have killed thousands more. Here to talk about Mark, his heroism, and her love for him is his sweet mother, Alice Hoagland. Alice, welcome to Swirl. Well, thank you very much. You make me feel very welcome. Oh, you are... You are a friend and uh, actually a hero here on Swirl. We, oh, my. Yeah. I've seen some of your work, and it's just um, it's electrifying. I mean, the love that you have for your son and, and uh, you know, continuing to preserve his legacy and also your support of the LGBTQ community. Well, you're very kind. It's very easy to support those things. Yes, you're right. I love Mark Bingham, my son, so much, and he, his life helped define mine. And since his death on September 11th, I have carved out of my life uh, five uh, important causes, aviation security and the eradication of terrorism mm-hmm. and uh, citizenship and the, and the value of being a citizen of the United States and the importance of upholding our country. And then there's the LGBT community and the wonderful work that it's accomplishing, especially during the past year. Mm-hmm. And then fifth, not necessarily last on my list, is rugby and competitive <laughs> sports. <laughs> they, uh, I think that competitive sports played a very vital role on September 11th, getting those guys together. There were four or five of them, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Burnett, Jeremy Glick, Todd Beamer, Mark Bingham, Richard Guadagno, who knows who else. And they all had sports experience. They all knew how to stand up for themselves and, and, co- and get into a team mode very quickly. They took a vote and they ran forward. And even though they weren't able to save themselves or their fellow passengers, they managed to save some lives on the ground and, and keep the Capitol Dome from going up in flames that ugly morning. Right, right. Is it okay if we go back to that ugly morning and sure. um, just talk about, you know, maybe what, what exactly happened? Where were you? Um, yes, yeah. that'd be fine. It's, it's like therapy for me to be able to talk about it. I'm just glad people are still listening. Mm-hmm. Well, my experience was pretty 
pretty quiet to start. The phone rang, and I rolled over in bed. I was uh, at my brother's house uh, caring for their, their basically very small children, newborns, well, six months old. And I thought, oh, I hope somebody gets that phone. <laughs> and it stopped, and then it started again. And another uh, babysitter uh, type person uh, came down the hall and knocked on uh, my brother and sister-in-law's door, and I heard Kathy bound out of bed and run down the hall past the room where I had little Garrett with me. And I heard her say, oh, this is bad, something's happened. I, I stepped out into the hall, and I heard Kathy say, we love you too, Mark. Let me get your mom. And then she saw me standing in the hall. She said, Alice, come down here and talk to Mark. He's been hijacked. And I tried to get my arms around that idea. Mm-hmm. I, was, I had been awake for about 60 seconds. And uh, I heard Mark's voice, and he said, Mom, this is Mark Bingham. And I knew that he was in his business mode, very buttoned down. And, and I didn't know at the time that he'd just seen four or five people stabbed to death before his eyes. <sighs> And he, he said, he, his message wasn't anything about that or the danger that he was in or what he planned to do with his, with his newfound pickup team in another few minutes. He was just basically saying that he loved us and, and uh, giving us a little hint as to the danger that, she, that he was in without, without mm-hmm. giving us too much detail. He said, I just want to tell you I love you. I'm on a flight from Newark to San Francisco, and there are three guys on board that turn out to be four who have taken over the plane, and they say they have a bomb. Mm. And we talked a little bit more. If I'd had a little more time, I would have let my flight attendant knowledge kick in, and I would have told him, Mark, you can get a cockpit key right out of the little triangle compartment near the cockpit door, and and, uh, the cockpit door pulls into the cabin so you can open it that way. And uh, Anyway, all those are things that I thought of a few minutes later as as my family and I watched the towers burning uh, on television. Now, you're a former flight attendant and, ironically, for United. That's right. So That's you, right. You, that explains why you would know yes. what to do. Right. Cockpit keys were very plentiful back then. It was the worst kept secret <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the industry. We had them on our persons, and we had them at various places in the, in the cabin. Fortunately, now, United and the other airlines have been required, that is to say forced, to improve the security of their cockpit doors and and install what they call fortified or fortress doors. Now, the real pity is that the airlines, every single one of them, decided that they weren't going to pay attention to the suggestion of the NTSB in the wake of a terrible tragedy where a disgruntled employee put a PSA plane into the ground by killing the pilots. After that awful event, NTSB asked the airlines to spend the $1,100 per door, and guess what the answer was? If the airlines had been forward-thinking enough and security and safety conscious enough, they could have installed those doors, and the events of September 11th would not have played out the way they did. Uh, uh. Michelle Meowitz-Swirl, we're speaking with Alice Hoagland. She is the mother of Mark Bingham, a gay American hero who helped divert one of the United Planes Flight 93 uh, during the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Alice, at what point did you believe, did you realize that Mark was responsible for diverting this plane? Well, truthfully, 
as soon as I saw the caption news running on, along the bottom of the TV screen and, and read that, uh, that there, a fourth flight had crashed in Pennsylvania short of its hijacker's target, I knew what had happened. I knew. And, and every bit of information that came to us very slowly that morning and later into the afternoon confirmed that for me to the point that within an hour after the crash of Flight 93, I was happily telling the world <laughs> that, that uh, there had been a coup on board the airplane. And I was very gratified a few hours later to have my prediction confirmed by the FAA. They had managed to find, it might have been the FBI, they, they uh, managed to find the two critical pieces of evidence that tell about the last few minutes of a flight. There are two things, the cockpit voice recording and the flight data recorder, and those two things together give a very, very factual uh, account of what went on in that cockpit. And later on, we got to hear the cockpit voice recording. It's 31 minutes of the last of the last half hour of the uh, of the of in this case flight 93, and it did detail a passenger revolt, just as Representative Murta uh, predicted when he announced he was very proud of the fact that flight 93 had been foiled and its hijackers' intentions had been thwarted, and it was his part of Pennsylvania where the where happenstance brought the plane down and he said the same thing I think that there was a, a fight on board he said and I already knew there was but right. I you know how it's it's uh, other friends of Mark have, have said oh I just know that that's what happened but I you know how can I prove it well I think the facts speak for themselves I'm just so grateful that there was a little group of guys on board flight 93 probably three or four or five straight guys and one gay guy. (laughs) And they stood shoulder to shoulder and nobody was asking, what's your sexual orientation? They were just grateful and willing to help and they did what they could. You know, it's chilling. I watched the entire film, the documentary, The Rugby rugby Player. Yeah, Good, good. I'm glad you liked it. I was telling Scott, the director, that after the hour and a half that I had spent this morning, I fell in love with Mark. <laughs> well, thank you, dear. That's very sweet of you to say that. But it, but it was because you were so good at remembering Mark. It truly was an amazing documentary. Was it hard to go back in time and pull all of those clips that he did? Honestly, I would not have done it. I would not have been able to do it. So I am enormously grateful to Holly and Chris Millian and to Scott Grotcheff and the other people who have worked on the film. It seems to me that they have done a masterful job of figuring out what the heck is important in my life. And more important, they have done a terrific job of weaving Mark Bingham's life into a cohesive story that exemplifies some key things that are important to us as we face now the the, uh, problems in the... 21st century that faced the LGBT community. I, I think Mark would be tickled to know that marriage equality has come to the fore in the United States. I know that he he has expressed to me several times that, that he wished that there were more gay heroes. And it's such an irony and such a comfort for me to know that Mark has been honored by the gay community. I'm so pleased and flattered and, and, and honored by their re- memory of Mark. And I'm, I'm just, I'm really glad for the filmmakers because they have uh, helped me to see the importance of it in a way that sort of remains a jumble in my head. 
Alice, thank you so much for joining us here on Swirl. One last question for you. Sure. I mean, this film, you know, is, is preservation of Mark as a hero, as a part of the LGBTQ community, as an American. And um, I hope and I know that, you know, he'll go down in history as such, and including textbooks. Have you accepted that he's a gay American hero and younger folks, younger people, younger than myself, will read about him and they'll feel what I felt? Well, I would be very honored if that happens. I hope it will. Mark Leno here, a legislator here in California, as you know, uh, has introduced and had passed legislation that requires or very much encourages le- uh, educators to include LGBT members of the community to uh, bring LGBT people into the classroom. And I'd, oh, it'd be such a thrill for me to know that they are studying the life of Mark Bingham. Alice, thanks again for joining us here on Swirl. You You're are welcome, amazing. Michelle. It's just been a wonderful experience for me. Thanks for thinking of us. You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Meow Show. It's Michelle Meow. You're listening to the Best Of Show. We're replaying some of my favorite interviews we've done this year. Coming up on Swirl, the Benham Brothers, former HGTV television hosts who have made their Christian views public regarding the LGBTQ community. We would never compare the individuals to demons. Also, an interview with Mitch Main, a gay Mormon who's also an activist and spokesperson for gay Mormons within the church. The first words out of my mom's mouth to me were, it would have been better for me if you had been born dead than gay. All that right now here on Swirl. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We have a great program for you. We'll touch on religious freedom and religious liberty. What does that mean? Both of our interviews will touch base on that. Before we get started, though, let's talk. Let's talk about what people are saying out there regarding the LGBTQ community. First up, former Congressman Tom Daly. He said, we're now seeing what the gay agenda is all about. What they're trying to do is to undermine religious liberty so that they become an accepted sexual orientation. That's what's going on here, and we've got to fight this battle to the bitter end because once you let the government dictate to you what you believe and what your values are, then this country's finished. Whoa, doom! According to Tom Daly, the world has ended and the Christians must fight. It's like Judgment Day has come because the gays have rights. That makes no sense to me at all. Next absurd quote comes from Pat Robertson, uh, who's uh, the host or who's on the 700 Club. Oh, this one's great. <laughs> Sit down for this one. You tell me if anybody, if you show me one couple that conceived a child through anal, through anal intercourse, just show me one in all the world, and I will say, I agree with you, and you are right. Show me one. There are 8 billion people, 7 billion, show me one time when a child was conceived by that kind of sexual activity. It is unnatural. I'm sorry. That's Pat Robertson on accepting LGBTQ people. So, hey gays, if we can conceive a child through anal sex, then we will be accepted by Pat Robertson. (laughs) According to uh, sex ed class, Pat, I do believe that you can conceive a child through anal sex. Doesn't sperm travel? 
Our next quote comes from Tom Perry, who's a member of the Faith Quorum of the Twelve. He said, We want our voice to be heard against all of the counterfeit and alternative lifestyles that try to replace the family organization that God himself established. And uh, Tom Perry is from the Mormon Church. Um, well, Tom, I mean, alternative lifestyles, we will get to this later on in the show, so I don't want to comment just yet. And our last quote comes from a presidential candidate. He's the U.S. Senator Rand Paul on uh, LGBTQ people and marriage equality. He calls gay marriage a moral crisis that allows people to think that there would be some other form of marriage and ends that with, well, it offends myself and a lot of people. Those are comments made by a presidential candidate. Can you believe it? Rand Paul. I mean, who's going to vote for this guy? Anyway, that wraps up our Let's Talk segment, and we're sharing quotes with you so that you don't get sucked into this media vacuum of people who say crazy, crazy things. Besides, anal sex is amazing. <laughs> don't go away. When we come back, we'll have our interview with the Benham Brothers. Two Christian brothers whose public comments about the LGBTQ community got them fired from HGTV. Don't go away. Swirl is brought to you by Kaiser Permanente. Come join us and thrive. The Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center is right by your side. Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And Fiat, featuring the all-new Fiat 500X crossover. Welcome back. Today's program is interesting. It's special in that we're continuing the conversation about religious freedom and religious liberty. I did an interview a while back with the Benham Brothers, who are former HGTV television hosts. Their public comments regarding the LGBTQ community went public, and America did not have the best response to it. Here's the interview. Most people know you as the extremely charismatic, good-looking, CrossFit workout buddies, brothers, twin brothers, who hosted a show, Flip It Forward, which was supposed to air on HGTV before they pulled it for an anti-gay comment. What exactly was that comment? Well, we don't tell anybody we're anti-gay. We're not anti-gay. We're not anti-anything. We're pro-Jesus. We're pro-values. We're pro-boundaries, as the Bible speaks about them, specifically when it comes to sex within the confines of marriage and also when life begins. So we're pro-life and we're pro-marriage, which makes us anti-women, anti-gay, according to today's cultural police. So uh, the comments that Jason and I made, or me specifically, um, were in the context of a prayer service in 2012. And I talked about the sins of our nation were first the sins of the church. And that the church, we are the ones, Christians are the ones that have devalued marriage with divorce and pornography and adultery and all these other things. And I said, and as a result, we have all kinds of sexual promiscuity and perversion in the culture, including an agenda that's attached to homosexuality that is seeking to rob the nation. And so this is where I was talking about that in its context. If you pull those comments out of context, like several activist publications do, they say that we were leading an anti-gay rally. That is not the truth at all. It was crazy they even say that. And you know, the other interesting thing is Right Wing Watch didn't make any of those comments public. They were already public and HGTV already knew all about those. So it was nothing new to them. I want to go back to a comment that you made about the cultural police and this, uh, the, you know, the agenda. What exactly do you mean when you, when you talk about, you know, these groups having an agenda? 
First of all, we don't call it a homosexual agenda. We talk about the agenda to silence because it's not, it's just homosexuality happens to be the lifestyle that this agenda has attached to. And now it's if you disagree with that lifestyle, which according to the Bible, that lifestyle, as well as, as well as many other lifestyles that even Jason and I, have, you know, we're sinners too, just like anyone else, that, that we have to come underneath um, the, the standards of the scripture, but now today, unfortunately, that standard has been removed. So if you stand on that standard, you now become extremists or anti whatever it is that they say that the, the, that's the lifestyle that's accepted for the day. So we're just not going to buy that narrative, but we by no means will never, nor have we ever been mean to an individual person, not one accusation. If we talk about the context of if you compare LGBTQ people or gay or lesbians to Satan or, or demons, how that could be hurtful or how that could also you know, be dangerous to this idea of civil liberties or freedoms here in this country, what do you think? We would never compare the individuals to demons. That's, see, you've got to understand adultery, lying, cheating, stealing are all a byproduct of sin. And when you're walking in sin, you're under the influence of Satan and the demons. This is clearly biblical. This is not some new teaching. So it doesn't matter whether you're engaged in homosexuality or whether you're engaged in adultery. That's darkness. That's wrong. And Jesus comes, and he comes to give life. It says in the scripture that the devil comes to rob, kill, and to destroy. And he does that through our lifestyle choices that we make. And so we keep the message central on Christ. Anytime you silence one person's opinion, all intellectual and spiritual progress stops. We talk about God and Christianity as we have this uh, disagreement about sexual orientation and that word lifestyle. For me, being gay is, is not a choice. And so I wanted to ask you, when you said that you don't hate gays, what exactly do you guys mean by that? Well, when we say we don't hate gays, we don't hate people. Because every person is made in the image of God. That's right. You are, I am, this guy is. I probably hate him more than I hate you. <laughs> Whatever. But, but uh, God loves all people. He doesn't love all ideas. And here's one of the difficult things that we found. And this is why our heart breaks for, for folks that were raised in this humanistic type thinking is that the fourth point of the humanist manifesto talks about how humanists ardently reject the traditional view of the dualistic nature of man, which essentially is kind of a cute way of saying the idea and the individual is the same thing. So if I disagree with, with an idea that you have that manifests itself as a behavior, then I must disagree with you as a person. And I don't. I would, I would have you, and we invited the leader of Right Ring Watch, Human Rights Campaign, uh, glad all to our house for dinner. I had a homosexual couple at my house for dinner several months ago with my kids. We had a great time talking. And uh, yeah, I believe that God does have a better way for folks who are caught in sexual sin and don't think that it's actual sin, think it's an orientation. God has a better way. And uh, God loves you just like you are, but refuses to leave you that way. Okay, well, I will go to your house and we're going to have dinner. I would love that. I mean, I'm dangerous, though, because I'm pretty charismatic, too. And you're, I love it. Your, your wife and your kids will love me. I'm super funny. And we're going to have a conversation about Christianity and the LGBTQ community. Is and, that okay? I want all five of my kids to be there, please. Awesome. awesome. I would love that. Awesome. I love kids. So my last question to you, you know, marriage equality is here. 
and it will probably be here and recognized in 50 states. And so for Christians, I mean, it sounds like you do accept the LGBTQ community. You accept us that we are here and and you see us. We're visible. Um, you we're know, how, human beings. We're human beings. Of yeah. So what you. what is the course of work for you next? I mean, will it be to continue to 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 be on the Pat Robertson show and talk about LGBTQ people, you know, without compassion, or what is it? What's next for you guys? We'll be. We will be on any show that will take us. I don't care who it is. If Bill Maher wants us on, we actually sent him a thank you letter for talking about us on his show. We'll go on any show. It doesn't matter to us as long as we're, we get a chance to speak the truth. Thank you, Benham Brothers, for joining us here on the program. Like I said in the interview, I don't think they've ever done gay media, but here on the show, we're your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Don't go away. When we come back, Swirl is out in the streets asking you what your thoughts are regarding religious freedom bills. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation about religious freedom. So Swirl is out in the streets asking you what your thoughts are on religious freedom bills. It's pretty scary. That's 2015. And people have to worry about these kinds of laws controlling their lives. So it's 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 pretty frightening, actually. That's how I describe it. I think it's really unfortunate. I think everyone should feel free to live the life that they choose. And um, yeah. I think it's going to put some of our Republican presidential candidates in a very interesting position, since they are taking positions that now are clearly opposed by not only good-hearted people, but by businesses around the country. If I had a business, I guess there's part of me that would want that option. I don't know. I mean, I think you just sort of have to, as a business person, you have to put your business first. And if you think that you can exclude a certain part of their, your potential market and still be a successful business, then I guess that's sort of your choice. I don't know. It seems to me that any law that makes like uh, people or companies to refuse service, like basic service to anyone, they should just like look at it and see what's going on, you know? But as I say, I don't really know the law, but it's just like the bottom line doesn't make so much sense. I think both sides are wrong. You know, who are you to tell me who I'm gonna serve? You know, and who am I to tell you that because you're a certain way that I won't serve you? You know, so I mean, it, it, it cuts both ways. I'm from the Midwest originally. I'm not surprised. It's very conservative, despite the gains we've made, and especially for gay people in the last few years. So I think it's a harbinger of the old guard just hanging on and hanging on, hoping to disrupt something that's going to happen, that's happening as this world continues. So not surprised, not disappointed. It's the Midwest. Thank you so much for your thoughts. If you have a question that we should ask next time we're out in the streets, head to michellemeow.com and let us know. Don't go away. Coming up, our second interview is with Mitch Maine, a gay Mormon who's also an activist and spokesperson for gay Mormons. Swirl is brought to you by Kaiser Permanente. Come join us and thrive. The Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center is right by your side. Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And Fiat, featuring the all-new Fiat 500X crossover. Welcome back. 
Our next interview is with Mitch Main. He's an out gay Mormon man who's been fighting for LGBTQ inclusion within the Mormon church. We'll discuss with him his views regarding religious freedom and religious liberty. Let's get to the interview. Mitch, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, so, you know, for many people who have heard your story out there in the public, in the media, I mean, a few years ago, you came out as a, a gay Mormon man here in the Bay Area serving an executive position for the Bay Ward. When did you come out? I came out when I was 16 years old, but there was never a time in my life where I, I thought that I was straight. I always knew that I was gay. The story that I tell inside the Mormon community, which helps people grasp the fact that it's not a choice for us, is first grade, you know, I'm, you know, what, six years old. And I run home as quickly as I can because at four o'clock, there were reruns of the original Star Trek series. And I had this huge crush on Captain Kirk. And I didn't know anything except it was just me developing as a normal gay kid. And Captain Kirk just would have been the guy that I gave my first grade Valentine to. Knowing that for pretty much my entire life, at 16, I figured it was probably time to tell my mom and dad. Um, the night that I told them, I'm sitting on the fireplace across from my parents on the couch, um, and I told my parents I was gay. And the first words out of my mom's mouth to me were, it would have been better for me if you had been born dead than gay. <gasps> oh, my. And that is a difficult thing in your 40s to retell. Um, it is really painful at 16 to try to overcome in Idaho, um, where I had virtually no resources for LGBT individuals, let alone resources for LGBT Mormons. Um, but what I've come to understand over time, Michelle, is those were not the words of a woman who hated her gay son. Those were the words of a Mormon mom who was terrified because she had such bad information about what it meant to be gay, and she had no idea how to parent me in a way that could nurture me and keep me safe. So fast forward to you being, you know, an out gay Mormon man serving an executive role, uh, you know, uh, for a local Mormon church here in San Francisco. What was the response of the Mormon community? There was an interesting spread of response, and 90% of it from the Mormon community was really supportive. Um, but when the announcement was made, um, I started getting like Facebook messages and the rumors started to get out there. And it's like, I remember one day I woke up and I had 650 Facebook messages. And I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna like put a website up and just like quell the conversation and just let it be over. And then the website went viral and things just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the responses that I was getting from Mormons, now keep in mind, by and large, we're talking about um, what we think of as really traditional Orthodox Mormons so supportive, most of them emailing me things that said, um, this is an answer to my prayers, thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, so it spoke to something that was already occurring inside the Mormon faith, and that was this desire and this recognition that you know, what we've done and how we've responded to LGBT individuals both inside our faith and inside our communities just simply wasn't working anymore. I would have thought that you know someone, uh, even a, a religious leader or someone in the Mormon Church, would have sent you an email, you know, telling you to stop being out in the public as an out gay Mormon man. <clears throat> I, I don't know if you've gotten any of those types of responses. Well, I mean, of course, there's you know there's a there's a fringe element that is extremely fundamentalist and extremely rigid, um, who views this as a bad thing, and that's not who I'm hearing from, and that's not who's, who's really voicing um, their opinions here. 
As far as the leadership goes, um, I was given essentially a couple of guidelines to go by. Um, make sure that you know people know that you're not directly representing and speaking for the church and you're not a paid spokesperson. And the leadership was actually very supportive. Now that doesn't mean I haven't pushed boundaries and gotten in a little hot water here and there, but I figure if I'm not getting in a little hot water on occasion, I'm probably not doing it right. A lot of Christians look at uh, the LGBTQ community as if it's a choice for us. And in the Mormon church, right, there's that thing, I think you've mentioned it before, same-sex attractedness, or, you know, but also the church not accepting LGBTQ people for who they are. And so I wonder, you know, as someone who's a spokesperson, who's an activist for gay Mormons, how do you respond to a statement like that? Well, there's a couple of different things at work here. First is, um, you know, what's happening at... Um, the level of people who attend church every Sunday, your standard, average, everyday Mormons, um, who really are becoming very well-informed, who recognize that it's not a choice, who want inclusiveness and even legislative equality for their LGBT friends and family members and Mormons and community as a whole. Then we have sort of, um, for lack of a better term, the old guard, the old way of thinking, um, and that represents your people who consider it same-sex attractedness rather than being LGBT. Those people are diminishing a little bit, but we also have to recognize that in Mormon, in the Mormon world, we have this hierarchy, right? And our prophets and our leadership are pretty much in that role until they die. Um, so to the people who think that um, it's being, you know, it's SSA as opposed to LGBT, I have a real challenge with that because when we blur LGBT into SSA, then we see increased um, depression, increased suicide attempts, the sort of thing that it, the really negative outcomes that happen because of, of that. So Utah being, I guess some people consider, you know, the very first state to be successful in finding a compromise between, you know, religious leaders and uh, the LGBTQ community. Is that the blueprint? Is that the footprint that people should be looking at when we're discussing religious freedom laws um, that are so popular today or that many people are talking about? Somebody had sent me an article and the headline was, you know, Mormons leading the way in LGBT equality <laughs> legislation. And I scratched my head and I thought, you know, if somebody would have told me that I would be reading that as a, as a, a legitimate news source, right? I would have like completely been buffaloed. And yet here we are. I think it is a win from not only the legislative side, but also from the cultural side, because um, what that means now is these parents who have gay kids um, no longer um, or feel less compelled to throw their kid out or choose between their child and their church because now we have leadership standing up using the term LGBT, recognizing that, you know, we are individuals who are worthy of, you know, dignity, respect, and equal rights. So there's a lot of positives here, but I think there's also a lot of unanswered questions and time will tell us whether or not this is the panacea that some think it is. Thank you, Mitch, for joining us here on the program and for sharing your story. When we come back, final thoughts on religious freedom and religious liberty. Don't go away. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for this special program on religious freedom. You know, of course, I always like to end the show with this quote. Hate is never the answer, love is. And from what I know from many friends who come from religious background, love is always the central, the central part of faith and belief. And if we could just start there and have compassion for one another, I'm hoping that these religious freedom bills will just evolve into protecting all Americans here in this country. 
Thanks again for joining us. If you would like to get a hold of us, head to MichelleMeow.com. We'll see you next month, the fourth Sunday at 9.30 in the evening. Thanks for listening. You can catch The Michelle Miao Show Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on the Progressive Voices Network.